with me in Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to read uh, verses 19 through, I'm sorry, 1 through 19, Genesis 22, and would you please stand with me as we read God's word together? I'll give you a minute to find it, Genesis 22, the first 19 verses. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns, And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son. Your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of your enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, good morning, Reliance. It's good to see you this morning. Um, 
It's one of the ladies that said that, she said, uh, I love Grace Kitchen. We do too. We are so thankful for the ministry that God has allowed you to minister, Mom, and we pray for and continue for more fruit there. Um, over the summer, we recognize that uh, we go. We head out on vacation sometimes along the way, and over the years, we celebrate our yearly anniversary on the second week of September. And we usually typically do like a potluck in the afternoon where we play volleyball, and I attempt to show you that I am still athletic, but we usually typically have used that Sunday to kind of reflect on what God has done on that particular day, and we have decided now to change that. Um, We are now going to be celebrating our ninth year, and we've always enjoyed that weekend, but we want to do more with it recognizing it through the summer. We all gather back again in September, and some of us are new, and some of us are old, and established, maybe that's a better word, and we want to to focus in as a church together uh, on a particular piece of discipleship that we need to grow in as a church. And so I want you to, we've never done this as a church, but we are going to continue to do this from this point on every year making the second weekend of September a discipleship weekend for Reliance Fellowship where we specifically focus in on a theological concept where we think God might be causing us to grow in that next year. And so this is what I want you to do. September 9th and September 10th, Friday evening, Saturday morning, I would love it if you're a regular member or attender of Reliance I can't say you have to be here or we're going to revoke. No, we don't want to do that, but I want you there. If you're a regular, we want you there. We're going to have something for your kids on Friday night and Saturday morning. Danielle is establishing, not a VBS, but kind of like a VBS for those two days, and we want to focus in on this concept. They were sent. And we recognize that we're preparing as a church for a church plant. And as a church plant, we want to be able to be a people who know what it means to send, whether we go ourselves or we support those who go. And so we want to spend two days, and Sunday morning will be the third, reflecting on those things. So that's my plea. And I would ask that you would, you would make it a priority. The place that we find ourselves now in Genesis 22, what is placed before us in this passage is extraordinary. In fact, no other story, I would argue, rivals it. It consists really of only 19 verses. In one aspect, it's haunting. In another aspect, it is found to be theologically rich in light of its contributions that it will make later throughout the remainder of Scripture. Stories of the Old Testament will build upon it, and the stories from the New Testament will story the New, the New Testament will stories will continue to build upon it. The fact that these nine verses are so impactful, the reality is that I have to admit is this: there is no possible way that I'm going to be able to reveal all the complexities of this passages of this passage as it relates to the different uses that are used in the New Testament. I say that. Primarily to to state that John and Peter look upon this event, it composes a really 
only 19 verses, to draw upon, as we would all know, the atonement of Jesus Christ. And the Father is sent where the Son was voluntarily willing to become the Lamb of God who atoned for our sins. Upon this mountain where Abraham followed obediently to do with his son. I could use and walk through that and stress that point. But the other thing that is placed before us is that there are other issues in which the New Testament stressed this as well. So when I come to a passage, I'm just going to let it open just for a bit, with different possible convictional responses to a passage, what is a pastor to do? I could preach it to heighten the awareness of Christ, what is done for us. Or I could try to stress something where I think we could grow in as a church, which is yet another piece in which Genesis is stressing here. And this is why I have to pray throughout the week. God, what, what do you want us to respond to? In the first verse of chapter 22, God tested Abraham. I think the author of Genesis is putting his finger on something that must not be missed. There was nothing casual about the test. In fact, it's as if God was putting his hand on the very heart of Abraham, testing him where his affections were deepest. And from my experience, the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac has not wavered from that practice. Reliance, what will you do when God tests where you have your deepest emotions lying? James 1.12, which the worship team actually read this morning. James responds and he actually affirms this tradition of God. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial or test. For once he has been approved, literally the word means past the test, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. There is a tradition which has been taught that we are saved by our faith. That is true. But there is something about God in which we recognize faith is invisible. It is the God who is invisible who loves to take that faith that which is invisible and make it visible. And how does he take that which a person believes, which is invisible, and make it visible? How does he go about doing that? He tests it. And so what we look at this morning is not only going to be picked up by Paul, James, author of Hebrews, Jesus Christ himself, faith bears a fruit which people can see. And I'm getting ahead of myself. I just want to walk with you through a very familiar passage that we all know and just reflect on it together. God tested Abraham and asked the question, in the hour which he tests me, will I respond the same? There's nothing casual about the test. 
when the conditions of the test are brought before us. Look in verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and you see Abraham's response is immediate. What will strike us quickly about Genesis chapter 22, the quality of Abraham's faith revealed to us here is unlike anything we have seen since chapter 12. Here I am, ready and willing. And the conditions of the test are placed before us in verse 2. An emphasis in why it's not a casual test is made by the Lord himself. Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Just the, the layering of the test, it is God putting his heart on the affections of Abraham's heart. I know what you love. Your son, your only son, the one you love, Isaac. So go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will tell you. The phrasing is familiar to us because we remember when God first called Abraham. Go to the land, chapter 12, verse 1. To a place that I tell you, And here, once again, the test pops up again. Last time, God told Abraham, don't bring any family. He brought Lot. This time, God is very precise. And I want you to take him there, and I want you to do what with him? Offer him up as a burnt offering. For the sake of time, the burnt offering was an offering where everything is consumed. Nothing left behind. Totally given up to the Lord. Now, there is a danger here when the conditions of the test are placed. If you're like me, as I walked through this, I thought to myself, praise God, God has not called me to such a thing. And I want to be cautious there because I do believe that God does call, call, call us to tests that hit our deepest emotions. He will call you and test you where you love the most. Take your time. I'm getting sidetracked. We'll hit that here in a second. We will be tested. This is what Abraham had to be tested with. But notice his response. After the conditions of the test are given, Abraham's response is found in verse 3. Nothing is told to us about his internal position, how his emotions are doing. We are merely only able to see how he acts. Six times the, the writer shows us how he responds with six different acts. You'll see it. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. He split the wood from the burnt offering. He arose and he went to the place which God had told him. Complete and utter obedience. You want me to do what? This is how old Abraham would have asked. Remember in Genesis chapter 15? Surely it will be Eliezer will be my inheritance. God repeatedly has to correct him. No, the inheritance of the promised son will come through Sarah, not Hagar. 
up to this point, we are looking at an Abraham that is totally now, it seems to be trusting in what God calls him to do. It may, you, the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes that's like us. As soon as God calls us to do something, we are immediately responsive. It's just along the way that we start thinking about what we've been called to do that we deviate back to old habits. And for the sake of time, the journey took three days. Look at verse 4. And on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And you wonder, will he now go back? Or is he as just as committed as he first started? In verse 5, Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. It's striking what Abraham says in verse 5. Because if you do something that, which you recognize, if you were to ponder the text, what you'll find interesting about this whole scenario in the first 19 verses is how frequently the term son pops up. It's almost as if the writer does not want you to forget Isaac is Abraham's son. Every time Abraham is mentioned, the son is there. Every time Abraham is mentioned, Isaac is there. But when he gets to the mountain, I counted 18 occurrences where the writer puts before you the father, the son, the father, the son, the father, the son. But when he gets to the mountain, he doesn't call him son, he calls him lad. It's almost as if He's emotionally trying to distance himself from his son. Look at what happens in verse 6. After telling these two men that we had come with him, the two young men were going to go and worship. And verse 6, Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Abraham calls him the lad, but the rider wants to remind you, it's still his son. And so he took his hand, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And the two of them walked on together. So he's emotionally maybe disconnected himself from whom his son is by calling him lad. But now the son speaks. It's a brilliant 19 verses. I find it best if you read it slowly. I wouldn't... I found myself thinking that thinking this is my study. I wouldn't do this. And then that causes me concern. I remember working, I was at uh, Walker's Furniture, and one young man asked me, would you kill your son? And I said, no. Even if God told you, no. Well, Abraham did, and I was convicted. Now, nobody go home and kill your kids. And the point of this is that Abraham was promised that this son would be the descendants, be the descendant would produce a nation. Situations different than ours. I don't feel like I need to defend that, but I will anyway. And so as he distanced himself, and yet while he has this tension of obeying God and loving this child, that he waited 24 years for. The son speaks. You'll notice something striking here. Because when God spoke, Abraham said, here I am. 
And the son speaks. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, oh, that's not nice. Going for the heart. And Abraham, he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac is oblivious. Abraham, full. Imagine that. The thought process of Abraham as he makes his way up the mountain. Verse 8 Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Very little is said about the conversation that goes up. And you wonder if Abraham is trying to find another way out. Quickly, when they make their arrival, you see that this is not wavering faith from Abraham, but rather, when we get to verse 8, and he affirms that God will provide a lamb, in verse 9, upon his arrival, it's as if Abraham is acting mechanically. When God called him, there were six acts of response, immediate. Look at verse 9. Then they came to the place which God had told him. Complete and utter obedience. And Abraham built the altar there, arranged the wood, bound the, his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. There's no delay or hesitance found with Abraham's response to the test. I like to contemplate it, right? Measure it out. Abraham is walking. All he needs is the voice of God and his response. Adam and Eve, when the voice of God spoke to him, you can eat of every tree of the garden, except for that tree. Unwilling to listen to the voice of God. Well, Hagar got them into a whole bunch of trouble because Abraham listened to the voice of his wife, Sarah. Abraham, for the, lot, for the case of 24 years, has had to learn that human's voice is inferior to God's voice. And if it doesn't make sense, I still must trust in it. So God, watching Abraham for 24 years, has now brought him to the test because I think God sees something that Abraham doesn't see in himself. Genuine faith which now we all had to admit that he emotionally is not wanting to do, yet fully willing to entrust himself to God's commands. Took the knife, verse 10, stretched out his hand. Nothing was said to us about Isaac. Why? the lens is on Abraham. The writer wants you to see Abraham. He's faithfully responding, even though it doesn't make sense, to what God has called him. 
And we see the urgent response, the Lord's response in verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, it's urgent. It's almost as if to catch him before it's too late. And here you go for the third time. Love Jewish literature because if you have it stated over and over again, it's something significant, right? Here I am, ready to respond to the voice of God as he determines. I want you to notice something in verse 12. I think it is often missed. And he said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad. The lad. And do nothing to him. For I know, for now I know, that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Something has changed. Remember the first time when the conditions of the test were put before us. Verse 2. Look how God put out the conditions. He said, take Now, your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. But when we get to verse 12, because of Abraham's obedience, something is now missing. Your son, your only son, the section in whom you love is missing. Why? Because the test was always about, is there anything in the middle between you and me? For 24 years, Abraham and Sarah have been waiting for this son. Yes, God had been faithful to all of his promises to not only give them a portion of the land as he sojourned around it, the possessions that he now acquired and the affluence that he had made around him. One thing that they always lacked was the son. They tried to create it by themselves. And when God, in chapter 21, verse 1, gave life to the womb of Sarah, man, this this son would have been, you would have been so protective of this child. He couldn't go play with his friends for a fear that he might be eaten or whatever. They loved this son. And what was the test about? Is Isaac between you and me? The one child that I gave you, not you, produced out of your will, the one that I gave you the gift, has now that gift become more important than me. And notice, do not stretch out your hand, verse 12, against the lad. He doesn't, God doesn't call him the son here. And do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God. This is an important term. He said, you, you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. The concept, I know that you fear God, is something that the rest of the Pentateuch will continue to try to develop for us to understand. For the sake of time, I'll have to just turn to one passage. Often for some of us, when we think about fearing God, it it comes to this mindset about obeying him in light of who he is and being scared of him. 
He might be the one who judges us and hammers us in our disobedience. It is true to fear God is to know his commandment and to walk in it. So this is what gets stressed in Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 2. No, this is the commandment. The statues and the judgments. This is what God is revealing to the nation of Israel as they're about to prepare to go into the promised land. You know my commandments, my statutes, and my judgments what the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you. That you might do them in the land where you're going to over to possess it, so that you and your sons and your grandsons might fear the Lord your God. So, in a response to who God is, in light of his commandments, a genuine response to who he is in light of these instructions is a response of fearing him. It's like a child. Even though the parents leave the house because of a respect for who the parents are, you stay out of the brown sugar. I didn't. I tried it a couple times. It didn't work out for me. But that discipline of my parents created fear. That they went out again, as enticing as that brown sugar was, I, out of fear, did not partake. Here the God of the universe has his commandments and his statutes, and he will discipline his children as sons. So your sons and your... Let me go back to verse 2. Deuteronomy 6, to stress this fear of the Lord, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that you, that your days may be prolonged. Clearly, Abraham is walking with this fear of God, but it's not just this aspect that when God speaks that we have to obey. Well, we do, and we don't do it out of how do I stress this? Uh, of lack of affection. Because this is what's going to be continued to be articulated later. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words I command you today shall be on your heart chief end of God's desire for his creation humanity is that there be nothing in the middle. That when he speaks, you obey. And you don't do it merely out of fear or duty, but you do it out of love. Abraham, take your son, your only son, the one whom you love, Isaac. Offer him up as a burnt offering. This is a test. Is there anything in the middle between you and me? Now I know that you fear God. You fear and you love me. And the provision of God is then placed before us. Verse 13. Abraham raised his eyes. God seeing nothing in the middle. And look, behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram, offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of the sun. Because God provides for those who trust and walk with him. Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day. In the mount of the Lord it will be provided. 
God will continue, verses 15 through 17, to reaffirm his promise with Abraham. By your faith, I will do what I have promised. What has struck the commentators in church history is that after this moment, Isaac's gone. In fact, when they come back down the mountain, it's just Abraham and the young men that came with him. It's odd because it's the way that which the son is mentioned repetitively and the father is mentioned repetitively that when you get to Abraham walking down in verse 19, Abraham returned to his young men and they arose. They went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Where's the son? It's a literary, artistic literary device stressing God, that Abraham is walking with God and trusting himself fully to him. And clearly, if this is going to be exalted in any other further expression, it'd be Christ Jesus who does this perfectly, who went to the same mountain and faithfully became our substitute. I want to ask in our convictional response, because I do think the author is trying to put his finger on something. And there is so much typology here in these 19 verses where we clearly can see Christ. And the New Testament writers do draw upon this, but they don't merely draw upon Isaac. They also focus in on Abraham in that he passed the test. God has historically tested his people. He tested the faith of Abraham. He will go on to test the faith of Job. He tested the faith regularly of Israel. Even when Christ himself came, incarnated himself among us, who will faithfully fulfill these things in a greater and exalted way. He himself was tested. Matthew 4, 1. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, put to the test by the devil. Faith is interesting. Like, Those who trust themselves to the voice of God are trusting themselves into something that cannot be seen. But it is our great delight of our Creator to take that which is unseen and make it seen. And so how does He do that? He tests it. And the fruit of that is seen. And He's done that not just in Christ, but He's also done this to the church. So when I read the book of Abraham, or excuse me, the chapter of 22, and see Abraham's faith, and I say, praise God that he hasn't done this to me, i got to be careful. Because indeed, God's tests are far from casual. They actually go for the very heart of our affections. Even our lives that we love. Revelation, God tests churches. Smyrna, Revelation 2.10, do not fear for what you're about to suffer. 
Behold, the devil, the devil plays a part in the testing. We see this in Job, in Christ's life, in the church. The devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tough days for 10 days. Be faithful until death. So until it's over. And then I will give you the crown of life. First Peter 4.12 I thought about last night the, the fire that was on Queensgate. It was a couple of weeks ago. Our fire alarm in our house went off. Beth and I run around the house trying to find out what the fire is. It was, I mean, there wasn't any. But then I remember laying back down going, oh man, how fast they just go. And I remember thinking to myself how much I love my house. And so when I read 1 Peter 4, Christians are fleeing for their lives, left their houses, their jobs of security, everything. And Peter sends them this word, beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing. God tested Abraham, he tested Israel, he tested Job, he tested Jesus, he tests you. By taking everything that you thought dear, as, as though some strange thing were happening to you, but to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. That also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with, rejoice with exaltation. James, we ought to be reliant be willing to recognize that our lives are God's and he can use it to bear whatever image of himself he wants through testing. He did it in Christ and he does it with his children. Consider it all joy. James 1, 2, and 3. My brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces Endurance. It's interesting that the authors want us to see what we have visibly. So God might come for your children. Take them away. He might come for your job, your house, your loved one. And he doesn't want anything in the middle. I think parents struggle with this. As you let your children go out into the world and it's exposed of how much that relationship was important to you. And God wants you to see is he number one? Man, if you ever have to say no to your boss knowing full well that meant game over, you'll never know if it was in the middle. Abraham tried for 24 years to find another way, and it just didn't work. And then he learned, and this is why James stresses the life of Abraham throughout his letter. As the worship team read, James 1.12, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. 
For once he has been approved, passed the test. Abraham passed the test. He will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. See, when we trust God and when we go through suffering, our faith's fruit is made visible. And you know what we believe. And faith is not just this intellectual, yeah, I believe in God. Was not Abraham, one last, and we'll close up this, James 2, 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? His faith was made visible when he offered up Isaac as his son on the altar. You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of works, faith was perfected, completed. And the scriptures was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And here it is. And he was called the friend of God. When the people of God have nothing in the middle. This is when we know we're walking with him. And the means by which we test that is not through casual quizzes, but heartfelt, gut-riching tests. Job was willing to do it. Jesus was willing to do it. Abraham was willing to do it. The people of God historically have been willing to be put to the test. Let's pray. Lord, I have seen so many been put through so much. Cancer. Lost of loved ones too early. And I don't know, having not gone through it myself, how they still say, praise the Lord. You are the one who changes the hearts of men to trust themselves fully to you, knowing that life's out of our hands but you're the one who's in control of everything. And praise God, you do provide for exactly what we need. You have provided the one who has ascended Mount Moriah, who has freed us from sin and death voluntarily, who entrusted himself physically and visibly to the Father and is the blessing of Abraham to the whole world that whoever believes in his name shall be saved. And Lord, as you test your children, as you have historically do, Lord, I pray for us that your reliance, beloved here in Tri-Cities, that we would, by faith, pass the test. In Jesus' name, amen.